If you are joining us, we are in the final week of our series, Drop It. Someone say, Drop It. Like, say it how your mom used to say it with some attitude, like, you know, drop it. My mom would throw her hip out of socket, right? She would just drop it, you know, and just swing that thing. And uh, I think in this series, we've been talking about the things that we hold on to. Maybe it's judgment or maybe it's shame or maybe it's bitterness or maybe we're holding on to labels, things that people have placed upon us and have shaped the trajectory of our lives. And maybe we should just drop it. And today we're going to end with, with a hefty topic, a hefty concept that the moment I say it, chances are it's going to weird some of you out. And I pray you stay dialed in for the entire conversation to hear where we're going. And that is this idea of a generational curse. You ever heard someone reference a generational curse? And there are two working definitions and you can find support for both of them in Scripture. The first is what we bump into right away in the book of Genesis. The Apostle Paul later in the book of Romans, he would say, he's like, listen, we all come from the same set of parents and their names were Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve made a decision that brought sin and death into the world. And now that has been a curse that has been placed on every generation afterwards. It is a, a generational curse that traces back to the garden. Are you tracking with me? And then there are other forms of what would be called a generational curse. These would be patterns and mindsets, dysfunctional tendencies and even consequences that get passed on from generation to generation within the family unit. And these are the things that we wanna talk about today that maybe, just maybe, you will identify or acknowledge something in your family unit something that you've inherited or maybe something that you've helped develop and something that you are passing on. And you would maybe find the courage and the strength today to say, hey, we're gonna drop this generational curse. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm fascinated with origin stories. I love reading about how things developed and what was the start of this and how did this come about? So much so that I will at times just listen to different podcasts that talk about random things while I drive. I love podcasts that tell origin stories. I subscribe to one that takes a topic and does a deep dive into the topic. And the other day I was listening to a podcast on tickling. <laughs> yeah, this is what I do during my week if you want to be impressed. And in it they were talking about there's two kinds of tickles. There's the soft, gentle tickle that raises the hair on your arm and gives you goosebumps. And then there's the firm tickle. The one where someone holds you down and gets up in your armpits or grabs your foot, right? There's two tickles, the gentle and the firm. And they said in this podcast that it has been proven it is only the second tickle, the firm tickle, that can actually produce laughter. In addition to that, it is a tickle you can't do on your own. So you can do the soft tickle and raise the hairs and give yourself goosebumps, but you can't give yourself the firm tickle and make yourself laugh. Someone else has to do that for you. And where I'm going with this is there was a time in medieval times where the doctors of the day would prescribe tickling to individuals as an antidepressant. Come to find out kings, rulers, and those who were affluent were very fond of this. Can you imagine 
being a soldier coming in from the day in. They say, hey, the king's in his lair and he's, he's ready to be cheered up. <laughs> Put yourself in that guy's shoes and you walk into the room and he's just sitting there with his armpits ready <laughs> and you have to tickle him. I think to myself, I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. And maybe, just maybe, God will do something in your life today and this weekend and the months to come that would shape and, and even shift the trajectory of your family where down the road, individuals will look back on the, the tendencies that once used to be the norm within your family unit. And they'll laugh, but they'll also be serious in thinking, I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. You know, when you go through the pages of Scripture, the good thing or the good news is, is you're going to bump into other messed up families. Church, there's no such thing as a perfect family. You might as well just stop pretending. Every single one of us comes from, with families with different issues. And, and so it's just learning to lean into, hey, how does God's grace apply to this situation? And right off the bat, God singles out a man by the name of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And in just a few short chapters in the book of Genesis, we find the generations of this family unfolding. We get about five chapters in and immediately we start to see there's some unproductive patterns at play. And I just wonder as we read this text together, if you will begin to discover, hey, maybe there are some unproductive patterns in our family at play. Now just know we're gonna read through a ton of scripture and I, I just... Just encourage you to lean in. It gets strange at times, but there's something there for us. And it comes to us in Genesis chapter 48, verse 1, and it says, sometime later. Somebody say, sometime later. <laughs> Sometimes what we do is we'll read a phrase like that, and we won't realize it's referring to a decade. We'll just think it's referring to past Wednesday. And so when it says, sometimes later, it's referring to a, a period of time where a lot of things took place. And ultimately, it tells, goes on to say that later Joseph was told your father is ill, so he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told your son Joseph has come to you, Israel, I love this statement, rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. So what you have sometime later, what you have taken place, is there is a family that is unfolding. And the family tree looks simply like this. There's Abraham, who had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who had a son named Joseph. Now Joseph had 11 older brothers and they all hated him. In fact, they decided, hey, let's get rid of this guy. We should kill him. And then at the last minute they realized, wait a second, we can profit from him. So they sell him into slavery. And then in addition to that, he is then falsely accused by his master's wife and then thrown into prison. And it's in prison that he is pulled out and asked to assist Pharaoh. And it is in that moment, God fulfills this dream that he had placed on Joseph's life. Somehow, in some way, Joseph emerges as the number two in command over the mighty nation of Egypt. And it's wild because this all started with a dream. Joseph tells his brothers his dream and his brothers despise him for it. Which words to the wise, be careful who you share your dream with and when you share it. But I love Joseph's story because it, it's kind of more true to the case for most of us. 
Have you ever discovered that the road to your dreams is marked with nightmares? But what I love about Joseph's story is even though he was thrown into a pit, and even though he was sold into slavery, and even though he was thrown into prison and falsely accused, somehow God in his redemptive nature and God in his brilliant faithfulness accomplished the dream and what he had promised and planned to do in Joseph's life. And church, I promise you, you stay to the course and God will fulfill and God will remain faithful and God will accomplish the unthinkable in your life. You just have to stay to the course. And so in this moment, Joseph steps into the room and his father Jacob is dying. And his father Jacob had thought all these years he was gone. He was told he had died. And now here Joseph is playing reconciler and redeemer for this family. That's what it refers to when it says sometime later. So it picks up and it tells us when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, hey, who are these? It goes on to tell us, they are the sons God has given me here. And Joseph said to his father, then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now, if you read through the book of Genesis, you're gonna find that this idea of the patriarch extending a blessing to the next generation is a family tendency. This is what they did. He said, bring them close so I can bless them. Now, Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never, like I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Again, I'm just telling you, you stay to the course and God will do things you don't even know to pray for. God is so redemptive in nature, you just have to give him time to work his plan out amidst your complicated life and circumstances. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knee and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. And now we're about to enter into a really strange game of duck, duck, goose. Like it gets kind of unique. It goes on to tell us, but Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Stay with me on this. Says, then he blessed Joseph. Said, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. Now there's, there's something big that's happening there. He says, may they be called by my name. And what is happening in this passage is Jacob is officially and legally adopting his grandsons as his own. He would go on to say, hey, just as Reuben is mine, Manasseh is mine. Just as Judah is mine, Ephraim is mine. There's, a, there's an adoption taking place. He is in many ways elevating these grandsons into the status of sons. You gotta tuck that away. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. 
Joseph said to him, no, father, this one is my firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know my son, I know. He too will become a great people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, this younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a great group of nations. He blessed them that day. I mean, that's, that's a lot to get your mind around. But give yourself an applause. That's 15 verses. That's a lot to go through. And what you find is this family, well, this idea of a blessing was a big deal to them. In fact, as we read through this, some of you might think I'm preaching from the same passage I preached from two weeks ago, where Isaac is on his deathbed and scripture says his eyes were failing and Jacob goes into his father, Isaac. Well, now it's the same situation. Jacob's just in the position of father. And now Jacob is on his deathbed and his eyes are failing and in walks his youngest son. And there is this family pattern. There's a tradition and it starts to take place. And what I wanna put before you, and it's simple, but it's profound. And that is this, you are responsible for your family. Every single one of us comes from a family unit and you are responsible for your family. It doesn't matter what role you're in. It doesn't matter what age demographic you fall into. It doesn't matter if you're grandparent, parent, child, sibling, grandchild, you are responsible for your family. So what a lot of times happens is, is one individual in the family shoulders the responsibility for everybody else. Ever seen this? Ever bumped into this? Sometimes you have grandma trying to take care of an ill spouse while trying to keep the marriages of her children together, while trying to keep her grandchildren in church and get them off to college, keep this one out of dysfunction and this one out of rehab and this guy out of prison and this one just within a job. Grandma is doing all of it. And you can find these examples in a lot of places. In most families, one person is shouldering the load. But at the end of the day, you are responsible for your family, whether it's more or less, regardless you're responsible. I'd say it this way. Whether you are more responsible or less responsible, you are still responsible. And my prayer is we would walk away, despite your age and role in the family, we would walk away taking responsibility for our families. And it tells us in this moment that Jacob, well, he has a, a physical condition. And what is it? It tells us his failing eyes. His eyes were failing. And what's amazing is in this moment, something starts to trigger in Jacob's life. Though the eyes in his face were failing, the eyes of his faith were awakening. In this moment, he says, wait a second, who are these two? And Joseph says, they're your grandchildren. And Jacob responds and he thinks, I never 
ever thought I would see or experience this day. And in that moment, you can sense something is shifting in Jacob. Wait a second. Maybe I need to think differently about the moment that I'm in. And church, maybe you need to think differently about the moment you're in and the family unit God has placed you in. And so in this moment, with failing eyes, his eyes of faith start to awaken. Essentially for Jacob, he couldn't see who was before him, but he started to realize what could come after him. And here's what I've discovered. Our decisions and actions get better when our perspective on them gets broader. Our decisions and our actions, they get better when our perspective on them gets broader. I mean, what would happen if you stretched your thinking and your perspective on the situation at hand? I mean, there are certain things that we do maybe for our spouse, but don't just do it for your spouse. Do it for your kids. Don't just do it for your siblings. Do it for your parents. Don't just do it for your children. Do it for your grandchildren. Don't just do it for your family. Do it for your community. I think what happens is, and this is, something I think you can find to be the case all throughout our culture, is we've become far too nearsighted. We're too short-term in our thinking, and we never take time to think broader. Hey, what do these decisions produce? If I do this and it gets extrapolated throughout generations, what kind of family do we end up with? If we keep prioritizing parenting over marriage, What's gonna happen to this marriage when we become empty nesters, right? If we keep doing this, what is it going to produce? And I think our prayer needs to become, Lord, give me a bigger vision to see a better version. In this moment, Jacob is realizing, I think God has a better version of our family in mind. And I wonder, and I get the sense that God has a better version of your family in mind. Lord, give me a bigger vision also I can see a better version. Help me understand what my actions and decisions are producing. Because here's what you discover. Vision, it clarifies mission. When you know where you're going, you kind of begin to understand how to get there. Another way of saying it is knowing the assignment is what gives us alignment. Hey, this is what we're after. Okay, well, let's synthesize into that. And in this moment, with failing eyes, he starts to look at the situation differently. And my prayer is that maybe God would awaken the eyes of your faith to see your family and your responsibility differently. In addition to that, it tells us, that Jacob had crossed arms. I mean, it's that weird part in the passage where Joseph stations his boys before him, oldest on his right side, youngest on his left. And the standard was the oldest would get the right hand of blessing. And in that moment, Jacob does this, which I love church folk because they tend to be superstitious at times. And some of you, you're gonna go home and you're gonna line up your kids and be like, come over here so I can pray over you, right? I've seen this in the Bible today, right? But what is happening is this was always the pattern. And this may not be significant to us, 
But this was a big deal to this family. And this was a big deviation from what the family used to do. I mean, there are certain things that, well, every single one of us knows this is just what we do as a family. These are our tendencies. These are our behaviors. These are our values, right? These are the things that we say it runs in the family. You ever struck something up to that? Well, it just runs in the family. Passivity runs in the family. Manipulation runs in the family. Poor communication, anger runs in the family. I mean, impatience runs in the family. Judgment, it runs in the family. Addiction runs in the family. Have you ever heard people strike things up that, hey, it just runs in the family? And I think sometimes what we do is we forfeit our potential on the altars of our personality. Well, this is just who we are and this is who we've always been. And in this moment, there were some things that were running in the family from Abraham to Isaac and Jacob. You have to understand Abraham had two sons. The oldest son's name was Ishmael and he hated the younger brother, Isaac. Isaac has two sons. The oldest brother's name is Esau and he hated the younger brother, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons and the 11 older brothers hated the younger brother. In this moment, Jacob is realizing, hey, there's a pattern. Older brothers hate younger brothers in this family and it's only getting worse. Initially, it was one-to-one -one. and now in my family, it's 11 to one. Something has to change. And I wonder in your family, if you look at certain situations or behaviors and think something has to change. Church, I'd say it this way. If you don't like what you're seeing, consider how you're being. In this moment, Jacob would have been programmed to do this. And he says, hey, today I am going to sow a seed of something different into our family. I mean, what would happen if you walked away with the mindset of I'm going to sow something differently into our family? Moving forward, integrity runs in our family. Moving forward, humility, it runs in our family. Empathy and grace and faith and respect, it runs in our family. And over time, trust is going to run in our family. I mean, what would happen if you just said, hey, in this moment, I'm going off course because God's given me a vision of a better version. I mean, is there anything that God is impressing upon your heart that thinks we could do this better? About five years ago, I was driving down the road with my boys. They're much younger at the time. And my son, Miles, says, Dad, I have to go to the bathroom. To which I asked the infamous question, which one is it? One or two? Because my kids know Dad is a germaphobe. If it's one, we can pull into a gas station. But if it's two, we need to find a Marriott or an Olive Garden. All right, like we, we have standards here. So we find a restroom and my son, Cannon, who's witty, goes, Dad, why do we call one, one and two, two? I said, that's a good question, buddy. That's just how my dad taught it to me. And he said, okay, well, just so you know, moving forward and what I'm going to teach my kids is two is one because it's a bigger emergency for me, <laughs> right? 
It's just a better idea. And give them grace. They were young kids. But I'm guessing if you were to look at your family unit, you would think, mm, some of this may, may not make sense. We could do things differently. So he had failing eyes. He had crossed arms. In church, he also had able hands. I mean, in this moment, Jacob doesn't control a lot of things, but he still controls some things. And I think what happens is, is we tend to obsess over things outside of our control. And I think we do this because it then permits us to complain about things we can't really ever take ownership of. But again, ownership is what separates the overwhelmed from the overcomers. And so it's just saying, hey, what can I control? I can't do that, but I can do this. And even on his deathbed, unable to control a lot of things, he still controls some things. Church, you have able hands. You have more in your hands to control than you realize. Growing up in church, there was this Sunday school jam called He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. Remember that? Come on, if you're church folks, sing it with me. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. I botched it, but that was the jam. Like in our household, we say, he's got Riley and Cannon. In his hands, he's got Miles and Presley. In his hands, he's got Mommy and Daddy. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. Now, I'm a hip-hop fan. And hip-hop people, we remix a song, right? Like, hey, you can make that say something else. And I think you can remix that song, make it personal, right? You hold your integrity. In your hands, you have your finances. In your hands, you have your calendar. In your hands, you hold a lot more in your hands. You have your humility. In your hands, you have the words you speak. In your hands, you have your purity. In your hands, you hold a lot more in your hands. Like church, you have a lot more in your hands. That would be the jam, wouldn't it? We start singing that in Sunday school. You have more in your hands. You can't do that, but you can do this. You can't control your spouse, but you can manage your emotions. You don't get to determine your compensation, but you can determine your spending. You can't choose your children, but my goodness, you can help them pick their friends. You can't do that, but you can do this. You hold a lot more in your hands. And I think that was the mindset of, of Jacob. I can't do that, but I can do this. And what Jacob does is incredible because in this moment, he adopts Manasseh and Ephraim. They would eventually become one of two of the 12 tribes of Israel. And know that part where he says, hey, but this younger one, something's great is gonna come from him. Guys, I'm gonna geek out on you and some of you, You'll just let this go over your head, but some of you love the Bible. You'll appreciate this. From Isaac come 12 sons, and each of them become their own tribe. 
So Levi becomes the Levites. They were the priests. And from the Levites, we get a man by the name of Moses, the guy who brought forward the Ten Commandments and the law of God. It's amazing what came out of that tribe. There's another tribe called Judah. They produced a man after God's own heart by the name of King David, who then lead, led the way or paved the way for our guy, Jesus, the tribe of Judah. But see what, in this promise that was given to Abraham, where it all begins, this promise was twofold. You will have a great people and you will have a great property. That was the promise. And so when he grafts Ephraim and Manasseh into the family, they become two of the 12 tribes. Out of Ephraim comes a young guy by the name of Joshua who would be strong and courageous and lead the people into the promised land to take hold of the promise. I mean, this is the stuff I love to geek out over. It's so cool. And what is amazing is Joseph, who was the younger brother who never got blessed because that was kind of how it worked. In this moment, he receives a double portion because now his descendants represent one-sixth of the promise. I mean, it's fascinating stuff. And I love it because you find this repetitive thing. Isaac's in the room with his boys. Now Jacob's in the room with his boys. But do you, you know who you never find in a room with failing eyes on his deathbed having to extend a blessing? Joseph. Because in this moment, Jacob says, I'm going to do something different. Also that my sons are never put in this place. I'm making a different decision. And church, here it is. Breaking the generational curse requires breaking the generational choice. I think a lot of times when it comes to generational curses, we want to make it really mystical. And the moment it becomes mystical, it doesn't be, you know, it's not practical. But a lot of times these behaviors, these tendencies, these patterns, these mindsets that we pass on, well, they are tied to a generational choice that we keep making. And moving forward to saying, hey, God's given me a bigger vision of a better version for our family. I'm going to make a different choice. Which is why my favorite part of that entire passage is where it says he had rallied strength. Said he had rallied strength. In this moment, Jacob just leverages whatever willpower he has to change the trajectory of his family. And some of you, chances are you're gonna have to do the same thing. You are going to have to leverage your willpower and you're gonna have to depend on the supernatural strength from God and rally your strength also that you can make a generational choice that breaks the generational curse. Because church, it's in your hands and you are responsible for your family. But here's the question. It's in your hands, but is it in your plans? I mean, you can walk away from a message like this and just, I mean, move forward, status quo, business as usual, the family you got. Or is it in your plans? to say, hey, this is a legacy moment. I'm going to set the next generation up and I'm going to sow something differently into our family 
So the next time we say it runs in the family, we say it with pride, with joy, and with delight in our heart. Amen. This is a hefty topic. So I asked Pastor Kurt, I said, hey, at the end, I would love for you to bring a group of people out here and just kind of turn it into a large, small group so our church can kind of see how a conversation like this gets processed in a group setting. That ultimately is our goal, to move from a gathering to groups where we grow as followers of Christ. So I'm going to pray. And Pastor Kurt and the team are going to come out here and they're just going to customize this conversation. And I think it'll be insightful to you. But God, we just thank you for your grace. And God, we thank you for your commitment to see us through. And God, we thank you for your, for your faithfulness. And Lord, we ask that you give us the strength to make the generational choice that will break the generational curse. And God, I just pray a blessing over every family individual in this house. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we uh, give it up for Pastor CJ as he shared today? Yeah, so if you'll just stick with us for a few more minutes, here's, here's what I, I believe, you know, is, is we hear a message like that, and I'm, I'm guilty of this all the time, of being like, wow, that was such a good message. I sure hope so-and-so was listening, you know? And uh, Jesus often finished some of his sermons with... Uh, he who has ears, let him hear. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a second. <laughs> I have ears. Oh, maybe this is for me. And uh, so we want to help you process this conversation. So we've done a couple things. First one is this. We've created a conversation guide. So whether you're a single, whether you're married, uh, or whether you have kids, there's different ways to process this conversation. If you actually just pulled your phone out and text the word drop it, to 85379. Just text the word drop at 85379. It'll give you a whole conversation guide for you to kind of process this conversation. But I've also invited some friends up here to kind of talk and, and be authentic and give them, give them some grace. It's hard to be vulnerable in front of 10,000 of their closest friends. And so uh, I'm going to have you take just 30 seconds to quickly introduce ourselves so that we can uh, move into this conversation. But Mark, why don't you start introducing you and your family? Yeah, my name is Mark Kroll. I'm married to Karen. We have four kids and four grandkids, and uh, I've had the opportunity for the last just about 20 years to serve on staff, and I'm currently in the role of executive pastor of our discipleship team. Kim Tarleton. I have been at Northview for seven years on staff. I am the creative director, and my family, Steve Tarleton and Charlie, our 16-year-old daughter. Patrice Smith, I'm the marketing director here, and I've been on staff for three years, been married to this amazing guy for 14 years. Hello, I'm Daryl Smith. Um, have three lovely daughters, my queen. Um, I want to say shout out to all my girl dads out there, too. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I'm a superintendent for Mosley Multifamily uh, Renovations. Awesome, awesome. So I'm going to ask you to go a little vulnerable and uh, share a little bit of your story. And so one of Pastor CJ's comments was in order to uh, drop the generational curse, it requires making the generational choice. So Mark, as you and Karen formed your family, there were some choices that you had to make. And I'd love for you to be as vulnerable as you can and share a choice that maybe you said, no, we're not gonna do this any longer in our family together. Yeah, yeah and let me just start by saying that, you know, we have our kids and if our kids were up here, and they're looking back at, at the family that they were raised in, I'm sure there are things that they could identify about that experience. And so I think anytime that we look backwards, we wanna do it with uh, humbleness and humility, knowing that 
For most of us, our parents did their very best job uh, to earnestly and sincerely raise us the best they can. But I grew up in a family that uh, I would say had a, a culture or a mindset, I think CJ used the word mindset, that was very unhealthy as it related to money, to money. And so when you're in, the way it was expressed is there was a fear of running out of money. And there was a, a mindset of scarcity. And so money became, in my perception as a child, almost like an idol. And so when that gets deep down in you, it's hard to be generous when you're afraid of running out of money. And so I grew up with this culture. And again, this is my perception. I have two siblings. They may have experienced it differently than I did, but this is the way I experienced it. And so when Karen and I got married right out of college, this was something that I didn't want to be a part of me. I didn't want to live my life uh, fearing that I was going to run out of money and like it was all on me. I believed that God would provide for our needs and for my needs. And I wanted to build a family around that idea, not that it was on, on me. And so we, from the very beginning, one of the ways, so what do you do about that? If those roots are deep in you, how do you extract that out? I think by being generous is an antidote, antidote to that, you know, and so we decided from our very first week of being married, we were going to tithe, and that was the bottom. We were, that was a minimum thing that we were going to do, and so we've always practiced that, and I'm super encouraged to say that with this most recent first campaign, we hit an all-time high mark, and it, to me, it is a, a reflection of realizing that that's kind of been broken out of me, and, and I just am super encouraged by kind of where, we, where we've come from that, where I've come from that. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate you sharing that. Patrice, as we talked this week, uh, I loved what you talked about with your generational choice that you've had to kind of make. And so I was hoping you'd share that with everybody. Sure. So the generational curse that I felt the Lord calling me to break in our family was centered around teen pregnancy and just having kids outside of wedlock. And I witnessed some of my cousins become moms as teenagers. And then my own brother, you know, his first child was born when he was still in high school. So at first I was making that choice because number one, I was scared straight. You know, I saw how it affected their mental health, their quality of life. And then they were stuck with people that later in life they could not stay in because they had a baby with this person. Um, so I think seeing my parents' reaction to my brother, of course, you know, was one of those things I was like, ooh, note to self, don't do that, girl, uh-uh, don't do it. <laughs> Um, but as I matured in my faith, you know, the Lord really started to show me through his word and other mentors, you know, that when you make that choice, it is an act of worship unto God. And so I just really started to just make sure that I was aligning my lifestyle with the word of God. Not that I was perfect, but I really was just blessed to meet somebody that had the same faith and the same values. And so my kids were conceived, you know, when I was married. And so it was just a blessing to be able to break that curse in our family. But even more so now that we are parents of three girls, we want to make sure that they don't succumb to that generational curse either. And so we are intentional about praying ahead and having, you know, certain conversations. Um, we just had a recent conversation, even last month at the dinner table our eight-year-old brought up twerking and I had to let her know girl twerking is something that we do not do in this house there's no such thing as twerking for Jesus okay <laughs> <laughs> So um, we're just trying to be intentional, but also as we're teaching our girls to make the right choice, we want them to be prepared to know that sometimes when you're making that choice, you're going to be standing alone. But even when you're standing alone for Christ, just know that he's always with you. 
Thank you for sharing that. There was somebody right now that just went, oh, stop twerking. Perfect. Uh, good takeaway for today. Uh, Hey, Kim, uh, so uh, another thing Pastor CJ said is whether you are less responsible or more responsible, you're still responsible. And you talked about some responsibility that you've taken in your life uh, around something that's passed down in your family. And so I'd love for you to share that. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I've been saying is that responsibility is hard um, and it's not easy. And taking responsibility, um, it is something that um, I think we get caught in our minds. Um, and one of the things that I've talked about is blame storming versus brainstorming. And, uh, kind of, that's how I, I see that. And we, um, we find it so easy to find the people or the things to blame in our lives, uh, for, for what is going on in our lives or for how we have responded to something. Um, and we've spent so much energy finding the blame. Instead of taking the energy to brainstorm ways through that, to find uh, different ways to do things. And um, I was saying earlier, like, it's easy, it's easy to blame. Like, we don't think about brainstorming in our families. We don't think about that being something that we should do. Uh, but it's easy to find blame. Um, and so, like, in my family, I was raised in a family where um, all my immediate family has gone through divorce multiple times. Uh, divorce is a part of like going into marriage. It is an option and it's out there. And uh, I also was in a family where there was physical abuse, uh, mental abuse, sexual abuse, all sorts of abuse. Um, and taking responsibility, it's, I, I think we also look at that and we go, wait, so you're saying I need to take responsibility for them, for their actions of divorce or that abuse that happened. It's not me taking responsibility for them doing that. It's taking responsibility for the future and what is coming in the future with my family um, and making a choice and making a choice that with my daughter, instead of when I'm mad hitting her, I'm going to hug her. Um, and when I disagree with her, I'm going to high five her instead of scold her. And because I disagree um, with my husband, I'm going to choose to find somebody that Divorce is not on the table. It's not the option at all. Um, it's not even a part of the conversation. Uh, I'm going to choose to find somebody who um, I'm not going to just settle for what's first with there, that, that first thing. But instead, I'm going to celebrate with the best, um, which first service I'm saying this. Yesterday, we celebrated 18 years of marriage. So, yeah, every day is like, an anim like a honeymoon, you know? Um, but that's a choice that, that I make uh, every day. And, um, and I've said it multiple times, but um, we all know hurt people hurt people. And we've heard things said, hurt people raise hurt people. And just trying to change that out to be a hurt person can influence can change can heal hurt people and uh and make a difference in that by taking responsibility for it that's good thank you appreciate you sharing that daryl i'm gonna close with you okay you got to answer the last question so knock it out of the park they're all waiting okay <laughs> here we go so uh, another thing pastor cj said is the version you get of your family is dependent on the vision you have for your family can you talk about the vision that you guys have as a family Yes, I can. Um, the vision that we have for our family is definitely um, faith-based, um, God-fearing, but fun. 
Uh, we both grew up in uh, two-parent homes uh, that love Christ. My father decides, you know, that he wants to wake us up every morning before we go anywhere, and we do devotion, prayer, uh, sometimes some praise and worship, but you always had to come with a scripture from a chapter or so. I always pick Proverbs. That was my go-to because, you know, it matches up with the calendar dates. So <laughs> we still try to use that Keep it same. simple. That's it. Keep it simple. That's, <laughs> kiss is my motto. Keep it simple, stupid. Right. You just got to keep it simple. Right. So um, even with our family now, I mean, we try to do like fun dinners or vacations or coming to church or just going to the park, we still try to implement that type of devotion and prayer just wherever we can. But the main thing that um, we always try to keep in mind with our family as well is that, you know, God's treasure map starts with him, but the family is the treasure. So time is love and in our home, no, we spell love T-I-M-E, so. That's good. Thank you, Daryl. Appreciate you sharing that. And, and uh, I just want to share with you, you know, I, I think it comes to having a vision for a family. I learned this early on. I was actually the youth pastor here at Northview for, um, I don't know, a long time. I've been here 18 years. So I've been trying to figure out when that period was happening. But I actually had uh, Mark Kroll's four kids in youth ministry. I had some other parents. And I remember one day I met with, uh, I had them, and I said, can we have dinner? I just wanna know what you did to help raise these incredible kids because I don't believe there are any perfect parents. So if you're thinking perfection is the goal, you're gonna miss it. And I don't think perfect parenting guarantees perfect kids. It doesn't because our kids all have free will. But I do know that parenting matters. And so I said, what are you doing to help cast a vision for your kids. What, what makes them, and Mark, uh, he said, well, we have this family crest and it has these 10 values that we parent towards and he went through them and so I stole it. I'm good at plagiarizing. Uh, that's kind of like how I got through school. Don't tell my teachers, but uh, you gotta get, you take the best of what you have and you go with it. Well, we have a class here at Northview called the Parenting Game Plan. It was derived off of a lot of what Mark and Karen were doing. Another family in our church helped create it. I would just encourage, if you don't have a vision for your family, you can take that class. Just go to northviewchurch.us slash family framework. All of those classes are online. They're just videos, and there's actually a discussion guide. You can get the resource wall at any of our kids' uh, wings at all of our campuses, and you can grab that book to do that. I would encourage you to do that. Develop a vision for your family. Finally, if you haven't downloaded that guide, text DROP IT to 85379. And